Life is hard, and so am I. You'd better give me something so I don't die. All right, we're back, folks, once again, live in Greenwood with How You Live In. Bonjour, shalom, what's up, and how you living on this Saturday edition of How You Living? It's true, live again right from the Million Dollar Studios on top of the beautiful Chaz Tower. How you living today, Chaz? I'm doing pretty well. Um, just finished watching a really cool series on Chainsaw Productions on YouTube called Movies with Mikey. He's I've been really getting into a lot of YouTubers who do video essays about movies and cinema and uh, film studies and all that. And I found him through another person I watched, Shay Lindsay. You probably know her as the Nostalgia Chick from years ago. But now she does a bunch of other things. She does some really cool treatises on... Uh, transformers so check her out check out movies with mikey the one that really got me hooked on his channel is uh ai artificial intelligence it kind of goes in how people dislike the movie because it was a movie directed by steven spielberg but it was supposed to be a stanley kubrick film and he did a lot of the things before he passed away so it's a really interesting look at uh i I didn't know kubrick had his hand in that movie yeah he had his hand like deep in it more more than i thought and then it kind of makes the the ending and just the whole like meta-ness of that movie make a lot more sense okay and that's broken down in one of those videos oh hell yeah okay and what was the name of that one once again just for people um that is movies with mikey uh chainsaw productions on the youtube check it out yeah and uh i i myself have been spending a little time uh watching the shows uh i recently caught the best of enemies series which is this uh 30 for 30 piece i don't know if you're familiar with the espn 30 for 30 series oh i love me some 30 for 30 they make some of the best movies i've seen in the last 10 years years honestly um and i <clears throat> in this particular one it's the celtics lakers rivalry of the 80s oh and, okay and how they basically met in the finals over the course of a decade um eight times and um with uh, uh lakers coming away with five and boston coming away with three. Oh, okay and uh they it's like the the storyline takes the viewpoint of the rise of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. respectively, who both came into the league in 1980. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. And uh, and Lakers obviously selected Johnson, and uh, the Celtics selected Larry Bird. And it, it kind of chronicalizes the changes in America over that time, mm-hmm. and kind of the changes in the NBA, and... <clears throat> it uses their their competitive spirit and their ability to drive their teams to heights that they hadn't seen oh, okay. or heights that they had seen but still were impressed with the skill set because for instance the celtics had this kind of winning tradition already for sure and um and with a uh, red arobach as their uh, as their coach and later as their president who selected larry bird and it, it's this interesting story about um, success and championships, but then it also pulls into consideration the racial aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, the Celtics were a very white team in the 80s. Uh, in, I can see that. In a league that was becoming predominantly black, if not uh, okay. if not overwhelmingly, I guess, as a sense. Uh, the teams, it got to the point where it was over 75% of the teams were uh, mostly black, whereas 
the Celtics were 75% white. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was already kind of a weird um, mixture of, of racial things. And then also the fact that one's East Coast, one's West Coast. Yeah. One's old. Uh, Boston, Boston and L.A. And then L.A. is, you know, is, is, the, is the West where, you know, we expanded later. And so just kind of watching. And then also the idea that I like about these documentaries is it outlines some of the better parts of humanity through the lens of sport. That's true. And so instead of just talking about scores and numbers and championships and wins, it talks about devotion. It talks about the agony of defeat and the character building that that does. Because when you're watching this documentary, one person wins each time between Larry and Magic. One loses. Mm -hmm. And we think of both of them in society as winners. That's true. Because they drove these teams to the highest heights. But then when you look at the individual moments where one of them gets to walk away with a championship and the other doesn't you see that life is just like that you can get to the biggest stage in life yeah sure and and put everything you got into it and still come up short mm -hmm. and that's okay yeah and and it's gonna be hard and you're gonna have to you know struggle through that but the character building process from defeats, from mistakes, mm -hmm. is really kind of, to me, the the key to humanity. It's not how good we do when people pat us on the back and we're winning. It's mm -hmm. how, how much do we drive to build ourselves better when it looks like we're at our worst. Well, that's true. Or let people down or whatever. And so, yeah, no, it's a really good one. So uh, it's called uh, Celtics slash Lakers Best of Enemies. It's a three-part 30 for 30. Damn. So you've got like almost four hours of entertainment. Holy shit. Before okay. You. It's not quite the OJ one with nine hours. Oh, my God. OJ. Which was, was so good. It I was. I not believe how riveting that was for nine hours. All right. Uh, but otherwise, we do got some business here at the top in a little segment we like to call. Uh, oh, a little segment <laughs> we like to call. Look at callback. <laughs> yeah. Callback to the segment callback. So, Chaz, my man, is there anything that you have from previous episodes, topics we've brought up, that you'd like to uh, look into again? Uh, I guess because it's the best place for it, we should talk about all the special elections, but recently the uh, Karen Handel versus John Asasov race in uh, Georgia. In Georgia 6th District. The Fighting Six. <clears throat> Um. Yeah, man. The the uh, they went zero for four, right? The Dems went zero for four, and uh, it uh, and that was the most expensive election in the House of all time, uh, for both sides. Yeah, I think uh, didn't the Democratic candidate in the end raised more money, so he's overall created the most expensive campaign of all time. Yeah, and he did it mainly grassroots money, which is an interesting thing to like look at going forward. Yeah, and also, it, I, I also am, am disappointed not only in the 0 for 4, which I guess to some analysts was to be expected, mm -hmm. um, that is that the reaction from the Dems is that statement. They literally came out the next day saying, well, it wasn't like we were supposed to win this race. 
Yeah, I was listening to uh, the Daily Kos, and he was reflecting on what happened with John Asosov, and he said, uh, yeah, that's a ruby red district, so to pick up 48% in a ruby red district says a lot about, like, the duality of, like, the Democrats and the Republicans, and what what the Republican base is actually doing, and how slowly but surely more and more hardcore Republicans are kind of like, this is not what I asked for. Right. Right. And and this is kind of a situation where I'm beginning to tire of the Democrats' reaction to things. And I'm starting to point fingers at the leadership. Oh, yeah. And I was never one to make Nancy Pelosi step down or uh, make her, you know, atone for all the Democrats' mistakes. Democrats' mistakes. But I'm at the point now where rolling Nancy Pelosi out to comment on these things is now frustrating me. And making me upset because I'm like, this is not who represents to me the future of the Democratic Party. And and I'm saying that in the sense of I respect her for her hard work in mm-hmm. the Senate and, and, and or in the House and um, representing California so well, representing minorities, representing underserved groups. They fought, she fought hard for health care. She was a leader when it originally got passed, when Obamacare got mm-hmm. passed, when they were doing those health care debates way back when in 2010 that people don't even remember anymore. Uh, and I'm just saying that with the Democrats also voicing the idea that Hillary is considered a major candidate for 2020 for them. Not again. Y'all need to stop with that bullshit. It's the same rhetoric, and it's about the Democrats' willingness to only play it safe. You know, it's the 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 risk reward factor of the Republicans versus the Democrats is the Republicans take risks, and mm-hmm. they're often rewarded. Now, do they take risks and fall in their face sometimes? Yeah, there are candidates that have stepped out and said some crazy stuff. And, and you don't see them anymore, and they get brushed under the rug. That's another style of the Republicans I like. If you're a loser, you go away mm-hmm. in the Republican Party. In the Dems, we pat you on your back and we say it's not your fault. We're sorry they're such dicks. Turnout was really low. Like, we create all these excuses. Yeah. And we build that person back up, and that's how you end up with Nancy Pelosi in 2017 as the leadership of the Dems. After losing an election and now losing four special elections. Yeah. I mean, Tim Perez, I get some email from him, but, like, I can't remember the other guy. Um, Ellison, I think. Keith Ellison was supposed to be the other dude. Like, the DNC, really, because we, I still see America as, like, fractured, but... There's like four different coalitions. There's constitutional Republicans, the populist Republicans, uh, the neoliberal Democrats, and the progressive Democrats. Right. And the, the thing about the populist and the conservatives, they're at least kind of like, you know, in cahoots with each other a little bit, you know, they kissing cousins. We over here, like, we're basically like the girl who is going to college yelling at her mom who basically has her own home psych business that's just like, well, if I can do it, why can't you? I mean, look <coughs> at all this stuff that we built. I'm like, mom, like automation is taking our jobs. There's not a lot for us to do. What are we going to do? Capitalism is dying. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the analogy mom is like Alan Thicke from uh, Growing Pains. Yeah, yes. The in-home psychiatrist. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Right, that's suburbia bullshit. I'm just stop. 
Hey, rest in peace, Alan Thick, by the way. Right, Alan Thick with two died, C's. D- no sure. one died more Canadian than him. <laughs> <laughs> Playing hockey. hockey with, I mean, unless he was currently eating poutine when he had the heart attack. Oh Lord, what a side of Tim Hortons. But seriously, playing hockey with your family and passing away in Canada is like pretty much the national way to go. If I mean, here it would be just you know eating yourself. Right. Like, well, he really went out in the American way. Right. He was like, he was shooting his gun. He had his fireworks. He's eating a good old hot dog and some freedom fries. And yeah. it was just like, mm. and damn right, those freedom fries were supersized. And I know you think they got rid of that. Secretly, they didn't. <laughs> you, you, you know what? Actually, I like to think of, too, now as the divide. I like to think of the divide jokingly as a. Uh, in air quotes, America and America are basically like the two coalitions who are against each other. Right. And yeah. and of course, like quote unquote, America is like uh-huh. where we live. We live in Seattle, so it's like, oh, look at our big metropolitan areas. Look at our diversity and our such our huge like landscapes and everything. When you come here, you can see people living with people, cats and dogs living together. Isn't a crazy thing? But then you go to America, and they're just like, we want our God, we want our guns. You know, we just want to be able to just hang out and like be chill and everything but i just don't want them black people to come over here okay i'm like i want my dogs i want my guns i want my dogs to have guns right (laughs) i'm like what the fuck we do to do y'all you mad because your great great grandpappy couldn't make change for slaves anymore well fuck you anyway (laughs) well yeah well i mean it also a lot of people uses this kind of simple uh, distillation of the Republicans, but they love fighting for the Second Amendment, and they have no idea how to protect the First. Oh my God! You know what I mean? And it's yes. like, like it's it's it, <laughs> it just shows you. I mean, all the Bill of Rights. I'm actually getting the point. So I think when I entered politics, I was basically a constitutionalist Democrat in the mm. sense that I thought if we're really gonna go on ideals and rights, and let's mm-hmm. go, let's go back, let's go back to the source. Let's figure out what we're really the system is and where we got astray. But I'm definitely now more of a realist, and, mm-hmm. and I'm e- older and evolved, and I and I pay taxes, and I do all these things now that I'm like, that's a fucking 250-year-old piece of paper at this point. Yeah. And, and I don't know any other 250-year-old pieces of paper that garner as much importance over my life. And so... I'm ready to throw it the fuck away for a text message at this point because a text message would make more sense in 2017 to base our government on than that piece of paper. And the reason is, look at all the divide that it's created because it's not, it's so vague. It's not specific. And in its vagueness Mm -hmm. lies the debates. And in those debates lies the fervor for violence yeah that's Be- true because these debates aren't over should we have cookies or ice cream fuck it high five both mm-hmm. it's is this person free or can i make them work in my field yes or no i need an answer right now and they're cocking a gun right and and that's a problem that that vagueness went all the way through to 2017 and we're still seeing the repercussions of it uh throughout you know racial discrimination uh the battle for these states and the ideals of the two different parties um gerrymandering Mm -hmm. just 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 everything in general i mean if the system was less vague and the parties were closer in ideology yeah you would literally divide the states by just longitude and latitude 
Yeah, that's true. You just make it super simple and easy. Mm-hmm. You, well, you live in that. Here you go. This is where you go. You vote. You got done. Doom. But because America is based on all vagueness, especially it goes all the way back to like private property rights. Yeah. Colonialism, like early colonialism and uh, states back then seeing themselves as their wholly owned entities kind of made it so where they had to create this weird quasi okay we can have a national governing body but you still get to kind of govern yourselves in a way that is separate from the larger governing body it's like a third grade classroom yeah where each state is a kid at a desk Mm -hmm. and it's like you got the cool california kid up front and he's got the slick back hair and he's he's always tan and you know has the cool words and it's just like all the girls like him you know nevada's right next to him Mm -hmm. just chills and it's got all the pretty girls and and then you know somewhere along the lines you know is oklahoma you know and oklahoma's fine you know i love oklahoma oklahoma's got a rich history yeah in all honesty at one point on the map it was called indian territory and as offensive as that word is misused for the group native american territory would probably be the greatest state in the union so the fact that it went away from that and went into what it is today as oklahoma Let's just say I don't spend a lot of time talking to Oklahoma in between lessons in the classroom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And that's part of the problem. That's true. I don't know what Oklahoma's doing, and Oklahoma doesn't know what I'm doing. Right. And we're both making assumptions about it. Mm-hmm. And we're collecting, we're circling our wagons. Right. More so Oklahoma. I assume they still have wagons. Oh, goodness. <laughs> with the NBA conversation. Yeah, I'm a little bitter about Greenwood burning. Not yeah. his Greenwood, but oh. like the whole like 19 Black Black uh, Black Wall Street. Yeah. 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 Fuck you Oklahoma. Yeah, anyway. I didn't pick Oklahoma at <laughs> random. I, I, you know. But that's my point. Is so 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 you're in this classroom, you're in this third and the reason I said third grade classroom is because we're not mature about it. Mhm. We're not. And I, I don't know who the teacher is in this in this analogy. If, if I'm saying the government is, or or the I guess the federal government's the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. The federal government's the teacher, and the states are all the class because you do have your own desk, and you do notice that sometimes you might walk by New York's desk and you're like, God, that's really organized, despite all the things you have in your desk. It's mm-hmm. really organized. That's yeah. p- pretty amazing what you can do with the same amount of space I have. Wow. You know, and you go to Oklahoma and it's got like four things in the desk and all this space. Uh-huh. And, it, and you're like, oh, hey, that's nice. Look at that. You got all that open space. They're like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm Washington. I'm just over here in the corner over here. You might, I mean, it rains a lot. I wear a lot of flannel. Um, but anyway, I'm still here in third grade. What's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's like, I don't like you. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it, it literally you could treat states like individuals based on how they interact with each other. Oh, yeah. And and then that, and I was listening to Joe Rogan earlier talk about um, raising kids and with Judd Apatow because they're comedians and they're raising kids. And so oh, okay. Ta- just being, you know, they have to be open and talk about all these things on stage. And, you know, Joe Rogan's open about marijuana use and, mm-hmm. like, all these things that are, like, that, that you wouldn't necessarily want to see your kids doing but then you have to be a supporter if you're a comedian of freedom of speech and be willing to say and discuss the things that are actually there mm-hmm. and what he had said something about 
uh, Judd Apatow said, parenting is all about modeling good behavior. That is true. And as long as 900 out of 980 times a kid sees you utilizing the best strengths and 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 qualities given uh problems mm-hmm. so it's not them watching you winning again it's them watching you in traffic and if every time you get in traffic you get really frustrated and yeah and you get angry and you yell at the neighboring car well the children in the back are modeling that behavior that's true and so what i see is the way oklahoma treats its citizens models how those citizens react and the freedoms they give to be racist not necessarily all Oklahoma's are racist or Oklahoma is the racist state. I'm just saying those are being modeled from mm-hmm. the top down. And you'll see it in school boards and you'll see it all the way through. And that's why when you come to Washington and an immigrant comes here from Mexico, possibly illegally, you know, mm-hmm. they still get enrolled in school. There's an ESL program that helps try to give them the best chance at the lesson plans that they need. Mm-hmm. And they're immediately, you know, working towards their goals that's true you know and whether their status as an alien or whatever changes and Mm -hmm. they and they maybe get on a path of deportation our state will continue to support them until the day that the federal government comes and says this person has to get removed and we're going to take them uh they got all these services you go to oklahoma or a state i don't necessarily know that's how that works I think you have to prove citizenship in a lot of these places in order to even start that. And just there, you have two different kids in one classroom mm-hmm. with two totally different versions of something, and yet we're both America, which is one. Right. You know? And and I, you know, and then with the bathroom law and everything, you're just seeing how people are interpreting openness and mm-hmm. open-mindedness as... I don't even know how they qualify it. Like, I wouldn't even know how to use words to qualify the argument of making transgender people or gay people or bisexual people feel uncomfortable for their life choices. I don't even know how to articulate that intelligently the way the Republicans assumedly do because that's their plan or their, like, agenda. Yeah, as it were. Like, collectively, what it always seems like is they have the same set of values, and those values exist from a place of purity that has its roots in Christianity, I believe. And uh, Christianity, you know, says everything from, like, Adam and Eve. So, like, when it comes to these new uh, gender expressions and everything. Actually, funny enough, I was watching Lacey Green. And Lacey Green has been getting some criticisms for trying to send an olive branch over to, I guess you would call them, uh, parts of the um, alt-right, but not not all the alt-right just like conservatives and like i guess it's mainly alt-right because the red pill and the red pill is supposed to be like the alt-right youtuber tumblr space have just been like well i know what the truth is now and i'm just going to speak the truth proselytize 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 and uh, and basically she says the approach of like these people believe what they're saying and there's tons of people and and the people who gave her criticisms are the same people same types of like 
arguments that I get online when I try to talk to people and do the same thing where it's all like they're not worth your time they're discovered our earth and I'm all like we all exist and we all have the human condition we all express the human condition in a different way and how we came to express our little niche of the human condition is based on a multitude of things that we didn't choose right so right. it's like where should divide be between nature and nurture and and I know like and I I read a book once that said the big thing was about choice. But now that I know so much more about choice and choice is about what options you have around you exactly. and and how you perceive those options, it's like it's a big fucking huge mess of like things. And so and you have to weed through those things and understand the root of those things and and you'll understand people's human condition better and people just don't want to do that they just want to stand behind well my ideas are right and these are why they're right and i don't care what the other people have to say i'm right enough said and i'm just like that's not how work you know yeah well it's like it's interesting i mean and you get different examples of this but like uh you know children if you don't if you're not modeling a behavior to 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 make them discriminate typically they won't yeah exactly if, if you just let them operate um and uh you know unless it depends on how households have modeled the sharing of items but a lot of kids typically lean towards sharing mm-hmm. for instance you know if a kid's got two strawberries and another kid walks up they'll give the other kid a strawberry just because they're like hey let's share this experience you know mm-hmm. um and that doesn't happen always, and that's it's you know kind of a generic analogy. But but then in that same sense, I'm like I I recently heard a story with somebody who spoke with a bunch of astronauts from like I think it was like ten different nations, and because mm-hmm. I mean there's very few people who've been in space. Um, but when they spoke to these people and they had to use translators and whatnot, and there, and there's people from China and Russia and and Japan and America, obviously England, France, and uh, when these people went up in space and had their first view of earth as this one entity below them that everything that had ever supported them in their life existed everything Mm -hmm. every person everything um that when they returned to earth uh holding like a bigotry or like a small-minded value system Mm -hmm. was nearly impossible because of the fact that the statements they would make are, oh, when you're up there, you realize there's just one planet. Mm-hmm. There isn't 172 individual countries. There isn't seven continents. There isn't land and ocean. There's one thing, and it's Earth. And when you have that mentality, it's really hard to continue to make these small-minded arguments mm-hmm. because it does come back, and it does really come back to when people are being honest about everything, the biggest problem facing us for the rest of our existence is the environment, yeah, the earth. And there is what, it, what somebody, I can't remember who said it, but they said, um, everyone wants to win a battle, but if you don't fight for the earth, where is that battle going to take place? Damn. Ooh, yeah mm-hmm yeah and that's that's an interesting thing because you'd even have to go back to like genghis khan or something who yeah. to what i understand was actually an honorable uh uh conqueror of lands when it once once conquered he he had pretty pretty specific demands and if you followed him you progressed with 
the the Mongols. As the Mongols learned technologies, mm-hmm. they would spread throughout their empire. And, and, and as long as you were a decent citizen of the Mongol Empire, once they conquered your area, it was fine. And uh, I just think if, if you talk to him in today, war is a big part of his culture. And so fighting is what represented to him the highest echelon of Mongol culture. Mm-hmm. And um, now, we, we're, we're fast forward to 2017, we've evolved from that tribalism, mm. where our warrior class has always been held at the highest regard. And now, we have the biggest fight of our life. Can we keep this generator of life going long enough we don't fucking destroy it and <clears throat> because we're so concerned with this warrior class and fighting each other mm-hmm. the kind of writing on the wall is no we don't you know we destroy each other before we get behind fighting for the one war we need to win which is the environment and and that's the, that's kind of the biggest problem we got out there is 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 is, is you know, people talk about fights. They talk about winning. Mm-hmm. You know, I won that fight. Yeah. Well, what did you do? Well, you impacted pain and hurt on the other person. And that's why you were the winner. And so those value, the fact that even that value, and that, and that crosses racial lines. Yeah. And, and gender lines. And um, and so we have to wonder if, if, if supporting and celebrating warrior classism throughout the ages really set us up for this i Mm -hmm. mean trump is a bully trump is a bully but look at how successful he's been yeah you know i i think it's it's definitely whatever paradigm different places did because society happened mainly well it was a little bit of both because society happened when we started to go agrarian and we were able to just build a bunch of things and but the people who had the biggest farms had the biggest houses and that need to be above people is what i think really stems from the need to win all the time and i think our nessa like I always go back to the story of Hiawatha and how he brought together five different Indian tribes and he did the whole thing of like one arrow breaks five arrows together are strong and then it's like as an individual you're weak but together we can do so much more and definitely just going back to the Republicans the Republicans are all about individualism 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 right and and that's probably I'll never be a Republican because ultimately I know you can do more together than you can do alone right and I just feel like we just need to get to a point where we can instill in humanity just how much collective work and responsibility can do to move us forward in all aspects of our life, more so than just fighting over this big piece of land. Or as like someone would say, like a lot of the world has a scarcity mentality. And I remember having that mindset when I was in a teenager. And when I entered my 20s and started to read more and expand my horizons, I realized that like I'm like... It's like some simple thing. Like, you want to make $100,000? Well, we'll figure out how to make two or $300 a day. How do you do that? I don't know. Build something. Right. Like, make something. like, And then you can be, you can make six figures. You don't have to go to a job for 40 hours a week to make six figures. So, it's like, I mean, that's just one aspect of it all. But, yeah. And, and I mean, it, uh, it, it, and individual rights is important, clearly. And I mean, um, 
Yeah. I don't even think the Dems ignore individual rights as much as they do talk about how the individual can't negatively impact the collective. Yeah. Essentially. Like, like, and, and that kind of goes back, I mean, that's a little bit of a callback to our other discussions about the building of backyards and fenced-in areas, mm-hmm. electronic garage door openers. I mean, you physically don't have to get out of your car to open your garage door. Right. It's like, even then, you had at least a three-minute part where if your neighbor was bringing the trash out, they'd be like, Kevin, hey, good to see you. Mm-hmm. But now you got your little robot that opens the door for you, you drive in, they never see you. So, you know, beca- because we're separated so much in modern society, and yet we use digital platforms to talk about how connected we are. Oh, yeah. They're actually, funny enough, there was a post um, Jeremy made on Facebook that talked about um, from like 2001 to like 2014, uh, how much time are people spending with people. And uh, for the amount of time people spent alone, it was like forty percent, and went up to like seventy five percent. I'm like, damn. Yeah. And, and I'm like, or it was basically aggregating like how much time you spend, and basically, I guess in your whole twenty four hour day, and a lot of it was alone. And I'm just like, well, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's definitely be it's it's becoming very Black Mirror. You know, like yeah. it's becoming very you know 1984. Uh, not the actual year but the book yeah it's um great year reasonable book (laughs) (laughs) uh but what what i don't know is is and then given given this the stakes Mm -hmm. because right now the stakes are so high like uh you know you have you have police violence uh with racial tones Mm -hmm. you have um isis in part of the world with an ideology that's literally at odds with the same thing we're talking about the republicans mm-hmm. so republicans are literally fighting two fronts religiously they're fighting isis because in their version of christianity mm-hmm. that's the group they got to go after For and, sure. and then ideologically society wise they're fighting democrats who and I'm sure there's political cartoons out there. If you really broke it down, they're one and the same to some of those people. They're like, oh, I would shoot a Democrat or ISIS. Fuck, fuck them both. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Both of them ruining my world. You know, and I don't know why I, I go. And I don't know, like, I shouldn't go to the Southern trope. Like, I wish I had a real, like, upstanding. Yes, hi there. I'm straight from Tennessee. <laughs> you know, like, what, if, what if that was my a Republican? Southern gentleman. Uh-huh. I'm also an asshole. I'm Ke- I'm Kevin Spacey, and I'm gonna show you how I'm gonna ruin your government <laughs> over this mint and julep. <laughs> <laughs> People thought the bolo tie went away. <laughs> no sir, <laughs> no sir, indeed. Um bolo tie but yeah yeah so this yes at this point in time we're we're fighting all these fronts we need people together more than ever Mm -hmm. and no one you're saying overall percentage wise more people are spending time alone and and i think and then everyone that if they do gather they gather in echo chambers yeah it's 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 and, and it's this perpetual problem and then you know i i don't know what is going to be the breaking point but in other cultures and countries that have westernized democracies this is when a new party raises its head Mm -hmm. and and starts gaining control and seats and then it yields some form of coalition with a leadership party 
and then over time gains more seats and eventually gets its own leadership role. That's Parliament because of the way the majority vote system in Parliament works. We can't create that party here anymore. No, no. We, we got we to gotta change first past the post first. Yeah. And I don't even know if you can get Democrats to agree to that either. Right. Not the party. Definitely not the party. Yeah. Because that's the problem is individual Democrats behind closed doors will tell you they're frustrated with the party. But that's the party that also spent a million dollars to get them elected. Mm-hmm. So they can't really talk about that in public. But I think if you talk to the parties, oh, they love this system. Because the Democratic Party doesn't even care they lost mm-hmm. as a party. Because there's going to be in every other election for the rest of time. So they're always going to be there. And as long as you're there, you're getting paid. You know, you're bringing more into the fray, all that. And so it, it, there's no value to the Democratic Party in expanding the number of parties. There's only less for them. And that's that weird kind of conspiracy theory thing. Is there two parties or is it just one? Oh, yeah. They, are they both the same? They're, they're, they're similar in some cases, but, you know. Yeah, and 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 I, and I think we we touched on this before we started recording, but like classism is a major problem in America, and we have trouble going after the classes that are creating a lot of these problems. So the tax evading rich, the the corporation class where um, the money and proceeds are made on the backs of Americans, but then mm-hmm. all the, all the money gets somehow rooted through Caribbean islands. Oh, yeah. We're in late-stage capitalism is shitty, and people who made a lot of money from it don't want it to go away. Ever. But and they want only their money to make money, not work. Mm-hmm. So from that's where we got derivative markets that ended up crashing our whole system in 2008. Mm-hmm. This is all people who don't want to work anymore. They want money to make money. And and it's it's so intangible to the common human or not even to the common human it is if as if it's something they should know because they really don't need to um <clears throat> because your 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 number one concern is survival yeah as a human you know and you go through that list and everyone knows it it's like food water shelter mm-hmm. you know um and uh and and nowhere in that list is there understanding the derivatives market <laughs> you know but what affected your housing value or my employment in mm-hmm. 2008 was a bunch of rich people playing a shell game with derivatives markets and they crashed the whole system mm-hmm. because it became painfully obvious that what they were selling was a bunch of crap yeah bundled as if it was high-end triple-a rated oh uh, yeah securities exchange triple a's are really c's and saw the big short the big, big short movie big short is so good oh my god go watch the big short if you haven't <laughs> seen it um and if you're so young that you weren't like at all employed in 2008 ah oh, congratulations because you don't have the perspective to see where you could be right now because i want you to know wages are down way down from 2008 so i know you're okay with your 12 to 15 dollar minimum wage wherever you are on the west coast but let's just say if 2008 hadn't happened that shit would be 2025 right now and you'd probably be driving a beamer and not a moped but Mm. that doesn't matter because the person that created that problem owns 40 BMWs and uh, they they don't mind 2008. 2008 is the year they bought their jet. 
you know it's not the yeah. year, that's not the year the system crashed to them you know it's the year they bought their jet and they're like just waiting for the new g6 yeah just don't tell them uh, yeah and they're gonna talk about you're like are you guys a bunch of marxists you're gonna start talking about the bourgeoisie and the proletariat i'm like well it's, we're kind of we've been there for a while kinda. I mean, i'm clear i'm a proletariat yeah i'm totally a proletariat too yeah i'm a worker i've worked i've never i've never turned down a day of work in my life mm-hmm. um i've 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 shared more with people around me than what I have to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, I understand communism to a degree. I don't agree with communism, though. And I also know about corruption. And in my mind, it's the biggest problem once you start getting into those real upper edge um like like kind of illuminati status uh uh people and institutions Mm -hmm. corruption is what's creating most of the difficulties you know when food needs to get somewhere in russia it's corruption that decides where that food goes Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like here where it's markets it's corruption and then in you know countries like I mean, if you want to call it a country, Somalia. Um, it's still a country. I think officially it's a failed state. Is, oh, okay. is what it's and because mm. technically I think it's two failed states because I think there's one part that has separated and it's creating its own government outside the failed government of the original. But Interesting. My point being, um, w- even when there was a government, where that money from that government got to the people was corrupt. And so you had starving people in the streets, even mm-hmm. though you had tanks and jets being able to be flown by the Somali military, uh, was because of corruption and consolidation of power. And one of those ways of corruption shows its head is power not wanting to unseat itself. Oh, yeah. And now we come to 45. And um, I had a friend the other day t- put on Facebook... He's like, if anyone thinks there's going to be an election in 2020, you're an idiot. And it's kind of an interesting statement because, you know, more than likely there probably will be a normal election. But it's kind of it's kind of interesting he's put it that way because it's like, what is the potentiality of a conversion of our government by some person who really wanted to hold on to power? And what kind of connections would that person need in order to do that? Mm-hmm. What kind of um, situations would have to occur? And my fear is manipulated nation- international violence. Um, I think the perception of international risk and violence is a problem. Um, and what if, what if it's not necessarily that they give up the election? Or that they make sure that the election is held in the environment where there's the whole don't change horse midstream argument. Oh, going back to Bush. That the Republicans love. Mm-hmm. I'm fearful of that. And I, that's the most conspiracy-driven thought I've had in my lifetime. I've never been one to be like, conspiracy. I had a little bit of an issue with NBA refs for a while. Mm. <laughs> and then that guy got busted, and so I was kind of, I felt a little bit. 
Um, I still have a little bit of an issue with uh, NFL refs, but, you know, that's just because uh, I'm a Seahawks fan. But, um, but yeah, what, what, what if, you know, Trump pushes the button on some military action in mid-2019, early 2019, uh, running into the 2020 election, and, you know creates some atmosphere of him being the leader who we needed in that moment you know and that in itself could spoil the kind of waters of that election muddy it a little bit the dims can't really hit him as hard as they were even four years earlier mm-hmm. and you get him reelected. so it was an actual election but was the environment of that election not manipulated and i guess that's the one word i'm i'm my fear of trump's presidency is manipulation yeah they're already doing that that's that's kind of inevitable in a sense like the way they're going now like i don't want to say like it's inevitable that like in 2020 they will um they will try to abscond with the presidency through obfuscation via fear-mongering right but i kid it because hopefully Trump will fuck up enough will like the impeachment process will go through but like basically what I see what I'm more worried about is uh, I think Trump like Trump's approval rating is 36% which is middle of the road for presidents yeah but even Obama at this time was at like 54 okay right I mean like basically because of our 50 50 divide if you're below 50 that means you're losing some of your own constituents right if you're above 50 that means you're gaining some of the other side's constituents yeah true so i think with like 75 70 ish percent of people disapproving when it comes to the polls in 2018 because more people are aware of like what that means Democrats should be able to take back the house if they don't fuck up and become egotists, which that is my bigger worry. My bigger worry is that the Democrats are so highfalutin and stuck in their old uh, neoliberal ways that they will not be able to take back the house and the GOP will make their house stronghold stronger. Now, if that happens, then I think your scenario is in play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the Republicans utilize the bully mentality mm-hmm. i mean we're trying to be the the class friend who, who who helps everyone out and they're pushing everyone over and taking the lunch money and then spending the money on the election <laughs> right like, <laughs> right because i think that's the great way to segment into bill watch that's right bill watch what's going on y'all so if you know you've all heard about the bullies uh, the uh the, you know what we like to call it sounds like a pokemon sound it's the uh, the american health care act oh that's right but the senate edition so you know i've made a few clips of uh my main man ezra klein from uh vox.com talking about it so like i'm gonna play this first clip um a precursor to it is larry levitt said on twitter the other day that under this senate bill low-income families would pay higher premiums for bigger deductibles and that was something that you know mitch mcconnell and donald trump spoke out against as one of the main issues why obamacare was a big pile of manure so here you go clip is loading 
clip. It makes healthcare more expensive for poor people. The first thing the bill does, the biggest thing it does, the main way it changes American healthcare is it guts Medicaid. So beginning in 2021, Obamacare's Medicaid expansion begins to phase out. That Medicaid expansion was responsible for 11 of the roughly 20 million people who got covered with insurance under Obamacare. From 2021 to 2024, that expansion phases out entirely. Beginning in 2025, all that's left is Medicaid that we had before Obamacare. And then the bill takes aim at that. It moves that Medicaid onto a growth rate that doesn't keep up with how much healthcare actually costs. So year by year, Medicaid is getting cut pretty deeply against what it actually needs to spend to cover people. Now, why do you... So, oh yeah. So then that, and that's the biggest problem with the new, the new bill. Yeah, and and there's some specific things in there too that are very that are that are fucked up and kind of reminds you of your main man our money that didn't win back in 2012. But there's section 119 and in this one is called repeal the net investment tax. And I'm gonna go back to my main man Ezra to tell you why that shit's kind of fucked up. It's so funny to think that Mitt Romney one time was the governor of Massachusetts who now provides Elizabeth Warren to the Senate. Yeah, I'm but just saying. And, and the funny thing too is he came up with like Obamacare light that's still there and people like it. I know. What the fuck? His binder full of women. I would have let him win in 2012 if I just knew it never would have ended up being a Trump presidency. Like in some weird degree, if that's what the Republicans needed to kind of like take a breath and like be okay. Yeah, I was okay with Romney becoming president. I mean, I could fight his need to get rid of PBS, but other than that. Yeah, and his weird sons, but we got weird sons now, so. (laughs) Tell them about it. All right, Ezra, let's go. Those couple of words, that is a huge tax cut. It is a capital gains tax cut. Capital gains is investment income. And in Obamacare, investment income on rich people got taxed a little bit more to pay for health insurance for poor people. That Obamacare tax increase is repealed. And in order to fund the repeal of it, the Republican Party needs to gut Medicaid. They need to find some way to pay for this huge tax cut to rich people. How big of a tax cut to rich people is this? Uh, A similar version of it in the House bill got looked at by the Center on Budget and Policy Parties. The 400 richest families in America would get a $33 billion tax cut. That is about as much as it would cost to keep the Medicaid expansion going in four states that are covering 700,000 people. Back to the point about insurance that covers less. You'll see on page 41. Okay. Yep, and I think the other big thing too is the pre-existing conditions thing from Obamacare. Basically, because in the '90s we always heard about like I can't get health care because I have a pre-existing condition, and that was just the way it is. Right. And if you had a pre-existing condition, basically they were like, you got to go work to get your health care. But if you had a pre-existing condition where you couldn't work and Medicare or Medicaid wasn't something you could get, you were kind of shit out of luck. Or if it was a present a uh, condition that was painfully obvious where the employer might consider that in their hiring of you. Yeah. That you weren't even expected. It's not even that's not even on the statistics. Mm-hmm. If you come in on crutches and you're going in for a tech job, and the employer's like, I just this person's going to be a draw on our health care. And right. just doesn't hire you. Exactly. So. And then, so, like, the last clip is going to talk about um, what pre-existing conditions will, what will happen to those in this new Senate-backed uh, bill. 
Back to the point about insurance that covers less. You'll see on page 41 some language about essential health benefits. This recurs at different points in the bill. What this does is it changes the very definition of what insurance has to cover in order to count as insurance under the law. One thing Obamacare did was it defined what qualified as real insurance. It had to cover things like pregnancy, like mental health, like hospitalization. The Republican bill let states waive out of the essential health benefits clause. So you can have insurance that doesn't cover hospitalization. You can have insurance that doesn't cover pregnancy, which was very often the case, by the way, before Obamacare. This wow. Yeah, I know. Fucked <laughs> up. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, a lot of these states are going to take up some of this slack immediately. Um, so that's a good thing. And uh, their systems um, run a little more streamlined. Mm-hmm. So the passage of a bill can, can be enacted a lot faster than, for instance, these federal programs. I mean, they're talking about gutting Obamacare, and it doesn't even expire until 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it, that's when then their system could potentially start yeah and yeah. that's yeah a, a new state system could be up and running by january 1st mm-hmm. if necessary that's just how states work you know counties even more so you for know, sure specific counties could get stuff done and i mean i've been, we've been talking about this this whole uh, run of this podcast uh yeah go to your local government like seriously if you don't agree with the ahca Get people in charge. And I don't care if it's just the school board or just the city council where you're at. We got to get people in charge of these places because if these arguments are being made, even at the small level, they'll slowly change minds. Mm-hmm. And maybe your county will pass a health care bill and everyone's taxes in that county will kind of go into a collective that'll help for the people that need it that may have pre-existing conditions that are your citizens that you support. Or maybe it's your state. Or maybe, maybe... The Big Brother government does something good once in a while. Yeah. But we really need to stop looking to the Big Brother government to do that. Um, I did like what you were saying, though, specifically about, or in that, that Obama outlined what it means to be insurance. Mm-hmm. I think regulation and definition are things that the federal government should be doing. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that really does it for Bill Watch, just like, you know... We'll see what's going on, and just, I guess, a little um, follow-up at the end of it is that there just seem to be some GOP members that are against it, and they need 50 votes, and I don't think they have 50 votes at the moment, so I think they're they're good in that, mm-hmm. and, and I know we, we're probably, we talked a lot at the beginning, so yeah. there, there is one, there, there's one serious topic I wanted to talk right. about. Let's do it. Yeah, I, we don't need to do anything fun. We had a free-form conversation but yeah what's, what's right so my in in my serious uh, subject kind of goes back into like doing things locally but i kind of wanted to reflect on uh, a lot of uh, the things that have been going on with black lives matter and black people and police shootings and everything because philando castile just had his case and that was acquitted uh samuel dubose uh, in the raymond tenzin case has gone to trial twice and it's mistrial twice and since we live in seattle just this past uh, sunday we had charlena siobhan lyles uh pass away so i'm going to do a nice little like introduction to this and then i'm going to start going into like kind of an analysis of it all kind of like what it means and then where i think we i kind of want to go from here yeah we out
against police Every time I turn around and shoot another brother down in these cold, cold streets <laughs> okay. Right, yeah, no, that is from the rapper Zero is Z dash R O. Um, it's called No Justice, No Peace, and you know that's been the chant. Anytime you see a Black Lives Matter march, anytime you see any of this, like when Trayvon Trayvon Martin sparked it, uh, Freddie Gray, you know Eric Gardner, anybody. Peter Tosh, nineteen seventy three, put out a song called No Justice, and the uh, the the chorus of that song is If there is no justice, there will be no peace. Oh, there we go. So there you go. Right. So what I want to talk because I remember when Philando Castile's thing happened uh, last year. It was one of those instances where I was like, "Man, I know you're gonna want um, justice, but the way our justice system is set up, that man ain't getting justice." And and I'm gonna I'm gonna play a clip from uh, the dashcam video that came out that wasn't there last year. And I'm not gonna play the part where like he gets shot. But if even the mention of it traumatizes you, this is your trigger warning. Just make sure it only lasts for about oh I'm gonna say 20 seconds. So you can skip ahead a minute or something and just be like I don't want to hear all that. All right, here we go. Well, sir. Good. Right. Good. Uh, reason I put you over you your brake lights are out. So you only have one activated active brake light, and that's going to be your passenger side one. Your third brake light, which is up here on top, and on this one back here, it's going to be out. You have your license insurance? Right, and it was that moment there. It was that it was that last part at the end that becomes uh, a very iffy situation. That was something that I was actually just listening to earlier today. That I took a little recording of that. I'll play a little bit later of one of the jurors talking about their thought process. Because there were three total charges, one about like reckless endangerment um, of the firearm because there was a lot of the arguments in the initial time where they're like, there's a four-year-old girl in that fucking car. What are you doing? And uh, they they basically said, like, in the beginning day, those two things were going to get acquitted because they looked at um, Philando Castile's autopsy and saw that he was aiming down into the left. So he was aiming away from the two people in the car. So it, he wasn't trying to put them in the danger. And, and then, like, basically the case came down to... Um, Minnesota specific law to uh, manslaughter in the second degree and I what I really wanted to do is I wanted to research because sometimes I think in the back of my head with um, the DA having such a close relationship with the police that it's easy for the DA to present evidence and present a framework that allows for acquittals of cops to be pretty like a no-brainer right and they may need to work with that cop down the line and in, in, in what they may deem a more important case which is unfortunate because this isn't a dad Right, exactly. <coughs> so I pulled it up. Like at first, I started looking up with um, a different, uh, which we call it, different second degree manslaughter things were, but they they were a little bit different. But in Minnesota's case, um, let me see, manslaughter in the second degree is causing death to another through any of the following means, and is negligence created by a reasonable risk. Um, 
unreasonable risk and chances causing death or great bodily harm to another actually that it, this website is a little bit wrong with that because they have a specific uh thing where let me see no that's manslaughter in the first degree in the second degree there was a big there was a big way that the law was written and it, it talks about culpability and i'm going to try to find it there it is so the first one of it uh manslaughter in the second degree a person who causes death to another by any of the following means is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree and may be sentenced uh, to imprisonment if not for more than 10 years or payment or fine if not more than twenty thousand dollars or both and number one the one that was really the main thing that they had to deliberate over was uh, by the person's culpable negligence hereby the person creates an, un an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death or bodily harm to another and the big one was culpable negligence uh. and, and and the reason why he got acquitted for culpable negligence is uh, it's something that i argued from the beginning was like a lot of people were saying even uh what's the name uh trevor noah was saying like he did everything right and i'm like no he didn't actually and that's a tough pill to swallow but no he didn't he shouldn't have reached for the gun the second time when he made the instruction do not reach for that gun and he, philip castile unfortunately says the statement no i have to no 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 he says i i'm not like see so the way i interpret it there was like one in those <clears throat> cases and, and there's something to uh take note of i was looking at because um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I think, I think the officer didn't need to, to shoot him. So, no, no, so he, I think, he yeah. didn't, but he would say, I have my uh, thoughts formulated on this. I would, so. just, I would just say, since this is being recorded and putting on the internet, if anyone is out there and it does have a firearm and a officer of the law instructs you not to reach for it, I would suggest not reaching for it. Yeah, 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 but but I think that's... Like, just even given the idea of trying to be as open and honest as possible and just having it out so that they know, I get that, but there's this weird line about directives from officers, and mm -hmm. if an officer has given a directive that's yeah. not followed, they will often be acquitted no matter what happens after that. Yeah, because they have plausible deniability at that point. Right. And I think in that case, the reason why I played it first is, like, I think... And, and the way I processed it, because when I first saw the Facebook Live video, oh god, right, and I remember I was like, oh shit, not this again. Yeah. And then, and then everybody was always made sure, like, no, he was a car carrying gun owner. He went and did the concealed carry class. Like, why the fuck did he get shot? And I'm like, we don't know what happened before it, so I'm not drawing conclusions until I know what happened before it. Right. And that that pissed people off. And I'm just like, no, what can you do? You can only speculate. And if you start speculating and treating that like it's fact it's like no you can't go off of that and i always knew in the back of my mind that i was like it depends on the amount of time there was between when he says uh, don't reach for the gun and whatever context reaching for a gun felt like so when i heard that uh dash cam tape and it's not me and just so you know this is not me justifying the shooting this is me trying to explain why in a court of law legally argue you, you can legally argue this yeah and and in this case it's like where I think Philando Castillo thought is when if you have a gun in the car, you can e you either don't talk about it, and if you just go through your normal motions like oh because if he didn't say anything about it, he would have been fine most likely, or if he mentioned it from the very beginning, he would have been fine. I right. I think because he probably would have been asked to 
step out of the car right and, and then the, the officer would have found the weapon right gotten the weapon disarmed him taken it to his vehicle done all the paperwork yeah. brought it back to him and sent, sent him on his way right. and that is in some states that have concealed carry that is actually the protocol i don't think that's the case in minnesota but i did look up um a website that is like um concealedcarry.org or something about that and it was from a police officer talking about protocol and what he thinks about you should do when you're doing a police thing and one of the big things was like you might not think that lethal weapon like lethal force is going to be used but we always think lethal weapon lethal um right. force is going to be used and that's and that could be a problem with <laughs> the ideology of, of of police or not the idea but the their thought process right exactly that, and that then, could be a practice that we might need to work on because yeah the idea that it is any gun present is going to be used as a default mm-hmm. could be one of the precursors for why a lot of these situations are happening yeah now one of the criticisms i have about um uh, officer jimenez is that when he said um i have a gun in the car and he automatically assumed that when he was going for his wallet that he was going for the gun that's a that was i that do feel like that was a weird jump but i can understand why he thought that too because he he was just like because you can tell in philando's voice that he was nervous yeah because it's a police officer and everything and he probably just forgot or whatever and he and he was just like i have to tell you that i have a gun in the car and then he's like don't go for it and he's like i'm not right and he's like don't go like and it, it feels like because he, and it was that muddled moment where like he's going for his wallet so he can show like because i think he showed either his wallet or his registration first you can't really see in the, the video but then he was going for like whatever second piece of information he needed right when he said i have a gun which in his head when you just you just think oh i just need to tell him i have a gun and i'm good yeah. When when you tell a police officer you have a gun in the car and he doesn't know where your hands are, that changes the situation. It does. That changes the situation a lot. So when you look at the color of the law and does he does is he is that culpable negligence? Not when your goal, not when your choice is. If he if he pulls out the gun and shoot me, no, yeah. uh, or like it, it, like that's a in, within the moment. And then he said it three times. He was like, "Don't go for it, don't go for it, don't go for it." But I can also see Philando Castillo thinking, "I'm, I'm not, not. Right. <laughs> right," and his head is not like lined up with, "Oh, this is what it's about to kill like, me." Like 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 he, he's not he's not. We're about to cross a line that we can't uncross. Exactly, he's not thinking about that. The action of going for something unknown yeah. is being interpreted as as him going, going for, for his gun because in his head he's going for his wallet right. bing bang boom you get shot shit get fucked up so i can understand that and well man we've got to uh wrap this thing up obviously if there are other important topics we can get to we can table them for a callback segment that's true i had i i do i do actually want the the listenership to listen to the juror Okay. Uh, of the case a okay. little bit because i did want to actually go through because i wanted to talk about um what's his name the other two but i definitely wanted to end with um things i think we need to change in the law system in order to make sure like when stuff like this happens police are held more accountable because uh-huh. i think the way the laws are written now if you look at um uh, like if you look at washington laws and it comes to what you can use as force um uh, it's just pretty much a broad open book as long as the police officer says i fear for my life right. they get carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want right so yeah let me uh play this dude's uh clip really quick 
Because there's so much emotion about this video. You know this. Yeah, so we were, we were there to break down the law. And if we got wrapped up in the emotion of this, that this video brought out in us, then we just went nowhere. So we kind of put that aside and we didn't really talk about the video so much as to counting the seconds between his last statement and when he started firing and we broke it down that way and pretty soon we we were not as wrapped up in the emotion of it yeah as you would think i'm sure you've probably seen this but that 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 might actually be hard for some people to hear that you tried to um take the emotion out and i and i understand why you're saying that i think that actually is a maybe a jury instruction or a, a principle but you know, you've heard so many people say, gosh, I watched that video and it was so jarring and so quick. I'm, I'm dumbfounded as to how that wasn't the slam dunk. But what I hear you say is, of course it was emotional, but we had to remove ourselves from that somehow. Did I, did I capture that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, uh, the system of justice is, is, is screwy. And when you need 12 of your peers to analyze what's going on in a situation that they weren't at. Right. And and, th- and the legal jargon that they're supposed to, the lens that they're mm-hmm. supposed to use, because he is right. If you played that video for jurors one time mm-hmm. and said, make your choice, I guarantee all of them would have sent that officer to jail. But they watched it multiple, multiple times. times. And I also, and I don't know if that corrects the decision or not. That's all I'm saying, because I don't know where you go from here. I don't know. Obviously, it is difficult for me for the officer, because the officer is the only person in this situation that took a life. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, they need to be held accountable, in my version of justice in society. Mm -hmm. What that accountability is, I don't know. I think that is for jurors to decide or a judge to decide Yeah, in in our system of government. But what kind of lasting... uh, information did you want to leave the the listeners about about kind of going forward in this that you were saying so in a lot of instances like these there's basically like four charges you can give there there's going to be well in some cases there's five there's first through third degree murder murder if the state has a third degree murder and there's uh, first and secondary manslaughter and uh, first manslaughter um needs it says you need to be in the heat of the moment and that probably just means like you have a psychological not a psychological break but you know you kind of like black out and you just yeah there's some, there's somebody who who might be really really strong and someone says something crazy and they punch them and it turns out that they punch somebody that can't take a punch that hard yeah and that person dies yeah exactly and but i think in a lot of the cases because of how that juxtaposes with um uh, the amount of leeway police officers get when it comes to use of force whenever they feel threatened i think there needs to be some juxtaposition where their actions are i wouldn't say regulated but like checked by new laws so i think one of let me see and so well one of the big things i think is there should be a law penalizing cops who falsely say you they can't be recorded 
Yeah, that happens a lot. They use their bravado. They use their um, stop recording me. Stop yeah. recording me. Yeah, their presupposed authority to say that, even though legally we're allowed to record them. There, there's nothing. There's no law in the books. And even if there is a law in the books, you take it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says freedom of speech, yeah. freedom of assembly. As long as you're not, you know, interfering with them, they win. You are literally like being unconstitutional. So I'm like, no, there should be some large fine for that because it is unconstitutional. Um, I definitely think nowadays, and, and what what I really hope for actually is like things like this gets implemented in Seattle, right? Because hopefully we'll we get, can be an example. Exactly, because yeah. either we'll get like Nikita or Bob Hiawaska as our mayor. I think if we get anybody else, they won't do it. So that's where like that's what I'm jockeying for right now. One of those two, and I think another one is um a law promoting a special prosecutor for any time there is a cop versus person of color encounter, like if there's a shooting. Like make sure that all the evidence that can't be presented is being presented, and there's not no no weird cover up or anything. There's no weird. Let's give them second degree manslaughter, even though if it was first degree manslaughter, they would get convicted versus not convicted. Right. Um. I think mandatory documentation anytime a person of color is stopped, like for a crime or anything, just more more documentation there. Um, also think that when it comes to reporting documentation to the FBI, it's all voluntary. So we actually don't know through just the natural practices of kind of like the Ouroboros nature of uh, we're only going to put bodies in places where the crime happens the most. So we're only going to recognize crimes in the places where we have the most bodies. Therefore, the information we send to the FBI is going to be indicative of this limited sample size of policing. Yeah. So I think that there needs to be like more mandatory sending of just even the most like minute data of things just so we can get a clear picture because i have skepticisms about the picture i have criticisms of the picture right now just based on how the information is gathered and the assumption based on appeal to authority that that information is good because people are just sending it to the place where is the higher echelon of law enforcement right um and i also think there should be the last and the big one is I think it, it kind of goes into retraining, but also there should be bigger penalties for not using non-lethal force first, or at least attempting for non-lethal force first before you use lethal force. Uh, force, and I say that because I look at, I look at the laws now, and I was looking at I was looking at Washington's laws because I really this would have been a good opportunity for someone to get tased. First. Yeah, exactly. Like with Charlene. Uh, Charlena Lyles, she, you could have tased her, she would have been okay, yeah, she had two knives, and yeah, she might have lunged at them, and, and the thing is, too, there's a law that says you're allowed to use, um, that amount of force, um, when, if it comes to somebody who's mentally challenged, or, like, three stages of it, like, mentally ill, um, not mentally there, or just, like, mentally unable to, like, control themselves, and it doesn't say, like, what use of force is, um, liable limited in that situation yeah, yeah. Like, which is unfortunate because that's a i mean that's a whole nother debate is yeah the mental, I, I mental know, health crisis in america i know there's been uh, i have to look it up I'll, I'll do a callback of it but there is some specific addendum from the state law to our city law so spd could be held to a different standard and when the case like if it does go if it goes to a grand jury and it does get indictment but part of me thinks it's not going to happen because there's but there is another law in the book that that says specifically that um it is second degree manslaughter is if you kill an unborn child if you shoot the mother in this case and that happened there but i don't know if that law 
gets superseded by the use of force law or if the right. use of force law gets superseded by the, yeah. the manslaughter or law. Or if it's an overall crime, just yeah. the whole thing is a crime, so then if the one crime gets thrown out, you can't, like, set up a second crime. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, definitely, I, I don't know what the aftermath is. Like, I feel like this is just going to go, like, the same same way that they always go through. And that and that's why I felt like I needed to say these are the changes to the laws I think we need to see for there to be some degree of justice or at least some degree of um, uh, culpability if you will throwing it back to that one in Minnesota for when when officers make these choices that seem in a very nonchalant way because the guy talked about the death I can't remember his name I don't actually think I know his name but SPD used to have a Twitch where they played video games, and he was playing a video game. And he was talking about the shooting, so and that was kind of you know not kosher. Yeah, it felt a little yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Well, um, so we've got to get out of here. Uh, this was a serious one. So on the uh, on the lighter tip, I'd say go watch some Thirty for Thirties, guys. Uh, they're fun, great documentaries, and the most recent one, Celtics versus Laker. Uh, as always, you can get me at Seatown Mayor on the Twitter uh, and Mr. Chaz. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to do my quick grow your brain. Uh, but it's specifically some guy. His uh, channel name is Innuendo uh, Studios. Uh, and he did a really cool six part series called Why Are You So Angry? And it's kind of like a treatise, visual essay, examination of the whole Gamergate thing. But because a lot of aspects of Gamergate kind of spilled over into like this election and kind of have like the same sort of anti Semitic, uh, xenophobic, transphobic sort of like space, even you know they would argue you're just using that because you disagree with us like bullshit but anyway and kind of like the reflections that he saw there could also be reflections that can be seen here too so i thought that was cool so innuendo studios seven part series looks like a seven part series uh no it's only six okay and he did another thing if you're into the walking dead series on telltale he did a thing about kenny that i thought was cool too you can check that out <laughs> but other than that uh you can catch me at crsii always hit me up with a uh, hashtag bill watch for any bills that you want me to showcase as always and i think that's, that's about it that's it and we got an appropriate exit song i referenced it earlier so peter tosh and equal rights much love guys peace Justice. Everyone is crying.